Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, November 18th, and with that, both the ATP and WTA singles and doubles seasons over for 2019. This past weekend, the ATP World Tour Finals wrapping up in London. Fantastic tennis there all weekend long. It's rare. I think I read it's the first time since 1998 I saw that we had three players with one-handed backhands all make the semifinal stage of the World Tour Finals. So obviously that provided a nice changeup. It also helped, at least for some fans who may uh, be stale, we'll say, with the tennis environment now that we got three young guys in Dominic team, Stefano Tsitsipas and Alexander Zverev, joining Roger Federer in the semifinal weekend. All of it ultimately culminating with the young 21-year-old Stefano Tsitsipas wrapping up his dream breakout 2019 season with the first World Tour Finals title of his career. We've got that action to talk about. We've got the USTA Australian Open Wild Card Challenge for 2020 wrapping up on both the men's and women's side. We've got a you know a JJ Wolf title. You know at Cracked Rackets when JJ Wolf does something, we're going to cover it here. And joining me to do all of that to recap what really is our last full week of tennis in the 2019 season. You may recognize his voice as the host of the Wednesday episode of the Mini Break podcast. You may also recognize his name as he was a fantastic player back in the day for Denison's men's tennis. Of course, I am talking about a man I affectionately refer to as James Foster McDonald. Jamie, welcome back to the Mini Break pod. Hey, hey, how's it going? Overwhelmed. I mean, listeners... I was going to say, I'll take you behind. So not only do we have the last weekend of tennis, I also had a disaster of a haircut go on this weekend. I mean, we talk about we're canceling the GSP live show because I look that bald right now. Really doing like an Edward Norton American History X impression. I, that's what I'm telling people is I'm playing him in a small uh, part because it it shaved thin. So it was it was an overwhelming weekend, I guess. I will say I saw the picture of it and I don't think, I don't know, your description of it was a bit hysterical. Um, <laughs> I, I would say a tad over-exaggerated. It doesn't look that bad. You just look like you're 50. I would. Say, I don't know, like you look like an old man a little I, bit. I mean, having watched Roger Federer played, if you were like, okay, this is a 38-year-old or is this the 38-year-old, you would have pointed to my photo. I mean, solely by your face in that lovely <laughs> selfie you sent me, probably. But either way, um, it's not as bad as you described. It's okay. Oh, yeah, and look, as much as listeners want to be talking about the haircut, I'm sure more importantly, they do want us to talk about the tennis. And that Perhaps. was what took yeah center stage this week. I mean, even before we get into any of the challenger stuff, I think the place we have to start, the main event of the week, the ATP World Tour Finals in London, and I mentioned C.T. Paskett's the first title of his career, but I want to take us back, Jamie, to start with the semifinal action on Saturday. Because if I'm going to be honest, the single most 
uh, impressive performance for me of the weekend of these semifinals and finals was Stefano Tsitsipas's uh, 6-3, 6-4 win over Roger Federer in that semifinal stage. I mean, obviously he started out 2-0 in the group play. He ended up losing his last match, but Stefano Tsitsipas all week long, just to lose 7-6 in the third to Rafa, but just to compete the way he did all week long, to play as aggressively as he did, to feel the desire to move forward, to not be afraid of the fact that he's playing aggressive tennis against the fellow best male tennis players in the world. Just what a remarkable display from the 21-year-old to close out, again, his breakout season. Yeah, I mean, he was rock solid. And I mean, if you want to go as specific as that match with Federer in particular, I, I would agree. I think this was um, this was some of the, his best work, if not his best work. I mean, realistically, when you're looking at this match, I mean, to even just saying scoreline beating Federer 6-3-6-4, but I mean, that's impressive impressive in and of itself, but the way he did it was amazing to me. And this was a match too where, you know, there were a couple games where you felt like Federer was always going to get this break, always going to get this break. He did really well to save some break points. And then even when Federer did get a break, didn't phase him. It's not like, oh, Fed, now he's got the momentum and now he's going to take over, right? Sitsipas still won this in straight sets um, and not even in a tie break. So it just from a scoreline perspective, really impressive. You and I talked about Dominic Team's backhand slice and how he utilized it uh, to, mm-hmm. uh, to, I guess, a positive effect against Novak Djokovic. Stefano Tsitsipas, what really stood out to me, and obviously all season long you've been able to see flashes of this, but under the highest level of scrutiny against the best competition here in the World Tour Finals, his backhand didn't break down. Whether players were serving to it, he was able to comfortably hit through the ball. He didn't leave it short too often. He wasn't shanking it too often. He wasn't just slicing the ball back in play. He was hitting through the ball confidently, and I thought both against Roger Federer and against Dominic Team, when he would get them stretched with a forehand, their uh, reaction would be go down the line heavy, you know, with pace, with spin, try and attack that one-handed backhand. And the way Tsitsipas took that ball early, ripped it cross-court, and followed it into the net all weekend long, just that uh, that play in particular, to see that from a 21-year-old, that sort of strength, that sort of confidence with a one-handed backhand, that's what stood out to me is he you know, even under the most difficult circumstances, even to his more difficult side to approach on, he just had a mindset all weekend long, attack, attack, attack. And it's why he was able indoors to hold serve so successfully against Federer. He faced faced and saved 11 of the 12 break points in the match against Dominic Thiem. It was the same thing. He only got broken once in the match, only faced four break points in total as well. But the serve plus one he played, I know it was indoor tennis, but special stuff from Tsitsipas. I mean, he really did end the year the way he started it. And for a young 21-year-old who has as much success as they did throughout the entirety of the season, it's so difficult to maintain that level. And it's hard to just be anything but positive, to take away anything but positive things from Tsitsipas this weekend. For sure. And when you look at it over the course of the year, I guess you could say there was a little bit of a lull. What was that? Maybe like June to a couple months, was it? Where, you know, it was like, uh, where's where's Tsitsipas? But then, you know, he ends the year, obviously, basically as strong as you possibly can here, right? Um, and, you know, going back to your, what you're talking about, particularly with his backhand, you know, when you look at that stroke, you see some odd things occasionally, right? You, that little flick follow through at the end, I guess it just looks a little odd. Um, but man, that stroke is solid and it just completely held up against the you know 
the top pressure, right? I mean, you've got a guy like Team who is blasting balls at it, and he is completely standing up to it. And also, the Sitsipas backhand, it is so heavy. I mean, it is a great, it's just a phenomenal shot from the ground, right? He can do so much with it, and particularly that play that you mentioned, right? He steps in, rips it cross court, and is able to follow in and, and you know, put together a really nice transition game. You know, we saw that play all week, you know, in the ATP finals and ultimately it won him a lot of important points and got him across the finish line. So nothing but impressive stuff from Stefanos, um, particularly the serve in plus one, like you mentioned, he did that masterfully. And I think what he really did was just his mindset of being aggressive, making sure he was going to move quick enough and early enough to get the big forehand and rip it wherever he wanted, make sure that he could impose that forehand and that aggressive game on whoever he was playing, right? It didn't matter. It didn't matter if it was better. It didn't matter if it was team. He committed completely to being able to do that. And and that's really ultimately why he's lifting the trophy. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. He is a competitor. I, I saw on tennis Twitter some people get mad because this isn't the first time, but DC Pass when there's a ball change. And I cannot believe, you know, I think they change balls every seven games. When it's Dominic team versus Stefano CC Pass, I'm like, give me new balls every game. Because I just cannot <laughs> imagine, like, you touch those after a point, you're like, oh my God, what did we just do to this thing? Um, but yeah, like, just the way he hit through the ball, he was so confident. It's that. Unlike a Zverev, who's got so many tools at his disposal, unlike a Medvedev, another guy, a lot of tools at his disposal, it just feels like when Stefano Tsitsipas reaps, rips an approach shot and moves forward behind it, there's just a confidence there. There's an assuredness that, okay, mm-hmm. he knows what, even if he doesn't make the first volley, he knows exactly what he wants to do with it versus a Zverev or sometimes, Medvedev's a little bit better than Zverev, but those guys who get up there, I'd say a Zverev or a Hachinov who get up there and it's just like, we don't really, I know I should be at the net, but I don't really know what I'm supposed to do up here. And just that little element for Tsitsipas, how complete his attacking game is regardless of surface, it's why he has so much success. And earlier in the year, I was wondering, you know, physically, how's he going to hold up? Because he's a bigger guy, 6'3", 6'4", stocky. But I mean, he moves so well. I think when he gets stretched in the forehand corner, the amount of weight transfer, he's the way he loads on that back foot and just is able to get the ball back cross court with uh, pace. He doesn't give up an inch falling back. He always has stable body weight. It's just... Everything about this young uh, Greek player is so impressive, and it's a testament to why. You know, all week long, and we have, I promise, in the queue, I know we missed our Best of the Decade series last week. Great shot, podcast listeners. We will get back to that this week, but a lot of matches during this tournament. Nadal coming back and winning against Medvedev. Nadal, Tsitsipas, 7-6 in the third. Uh, But then this final today, where Tsitsipas, again, uh, no breaks of serves in the first set. Tsitsipas plays a great set. He loses at 7-6 to Dominic Team To come back the next, next two sets, only get broken once, but to really be in control of the next two sets and win them, 6-2, 7-6, play a really comfortable third set breaker, never find yourself really trailing at all in the third set, it epitomizes the improvement and the confidence we've seen Tsitsipas uh, both, you know, develop and earn again throughout this season. It's just, I know where, you know, Zverev won this last year and there's automatically, oh, can he now translate this to a slam? And I'm not trying to say I expect Tsitsipas to win slams right away, but to have this sort of result, it proves that 
Everything else wasn't a fluke. It proves that for Tsitsipas, for him this season to go 54-25, and 25, you know, make six finals, win three titles, make his first Grand Slam semifinal, make another Masters final, and then win the year-end championships— This is a guy whose best tennis is clearly in front of him. This is not going to be a one-hit wonder, and you just have to wonder because with how aggressive he can be now when his defensive skills get a little bit better, when he starts to move and physically develops because he's only 21 years old and he becomes a full-fledged man, you just have to wonder how high this guy's upside is. Yeah, and I mean, I don't, I don't think we're even close to being able to answer that question fully right now. Um, I, I just think it's one of those things where you look at it now and you say, "Man, the trajectory looks great and it's impressive." But um, I do also want to talk about Dominic Team because realistically, I mean, we're talking about Tsitsipas a lot. So, how so will you and- hold that thought on Dominic Team because I want to move on to him. Sure. last thing for Tsitsipas because again, 21 years old. Let's put this in context because I'm glad you said we're not trying to project his upside now. The guy is so young, but again, to give you the stats, one major semifinal. Uh, Two semifinals at a Masters event, one final, the win at the ATP Tour Finals, 54 and 25 overall for his age 20. Uh, He turned 21 in August, so we're going to call it the age 20 season for cheating purposes. Now, let's compare this to a couple of other guys. His peers are the guys he aspires to meet up with. Novak Djokovic, 2007, age 20. Fourth round, semifinals, semifinals, finals at the slam. He made a final, a semifinal, two quarterfinals, and one two Masters event. Overall, he went 68-19 and 19 that season, 78 uh, win percentage for matches, seven uh, finals, five titles, ended the year number three in the world. I think it's safe to say Novak Djokovic a little bit better. Uh, Rafa Nadal, who I think turned 20 in uh, 2006, Win, winner of the French Open, finalist at Wimbledon, quarterfinals U.S. Open, two Masters title, a semifinal and two quarterfinals at Masters. He went 59-12 and 12 that age 20 season, ended the year world number two, six finals, five titles. So, you know, that that sort of lofty comparison, that's ridiculous, right? Those are the great two of, if not the greatest players of all time, if not the two great, you know, Federer obviously in that mix as well. But, I mean, what Stefano Tsitsipas did this year— you just cannot take it lightly because not many guys have this sort of success at age 20, age 21. But with that being said, you're right. The other takeaway, the other people that I want to talk about this, uh, about with this tournament is Dominic Team because coming into the week, it felt like Dominic Team, the way he beat Federer, the way he beat Djokovic in his first two matches, he follows it up with a comfortable win over Alex Zverev in the semi, 7-5-6-3. Given that he was the older player, I feel like people, had he won this match, were so ready to anoint Dominic Team as slam champion in waiting. Yeah, I mean, I think you've already got those people who are saying that, right? And, you know, I'm probably one of those people. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, the, the main reason I want to talk about Team 2 here is, of course, I mean, you look at this scoreline, right? Team wins the first set 7-6, Sitsipas wins 6-2, then 7-6. I mean, a couple points go a different way and Team wins this thing, right? So it just changes the conversation a little bit. And not to say that that takes away, that would take away from Sitsipas' season, nor does this result take away from Team. Um, I think it's more one of those things where it's just like, hey, yeah, this this would have been nice, right? <laughs> I mean, this obviously would have been a huge title, really would have, um, you know, of course, put a, put a nice cap on 2019 for Dominic Team. But 
I mean, realistically, I don't think team played poorly. I mean, I think in that second set, obviously, you saw um, a rise in level from Pass. You saw some, you know, mistakes you don't love to see from team. Um, but ultimately, I mean, team still had the chances, right? He easily could have won this match coming coming down to that tiebreak. So anytime it's a tie, it's a tiebreak between these guys, and especially when you look at something like the third set record of Dominic team this year, which has been exceptional, um, you know, some something you really don't want to ever count him out on. So. Um, just wanted to put that in there, a little bit of context as well, because look, Dominic team could have walked away with this. Ultimately, Sitsipas just too good, um, and, and that's why he is the one lifting the trophy. Well, look, live ranking, Sitsipas is ending the year number six, but Dominic team's going to end number four. Mm-hmm. It's the big three, and then him. He's the next guy in the rankings, and honestly, that feels right. I mean, yeah, you look at the does. year he had, he wins that first hardcore Masters event in Indian Wells. I think his first Masters event ever as well. But it was over Federer, yeah. Yeah, to do that in the final. He has a winning record right now in his career against Roger Federer. There are very, very, very few individuals in the world who can say that. And that's a testament to how good Dominic Team has been. Now, I agree with you. Him losing this final does not affect my outlook of him going into 2020 because what he showed me today against Dominic Team, A, or against Pass, excuse me, to not get broken serve, to be able to with, uh, you know, hold on against a guy who's playing as well as Tsitsipas in that moment. Plus, he was down a break the entire third set and just physically to claw back the way he did. Kept swinging away, tried to make Tsitsipas play defense, which is so hard to do because he wants to be so aggressive. I mean, yeah, we saw how the only problem for Dominic team, he did end up getting it back to six all in the third. It's just when you're playing catch up for an hour and a half, it's so hard to maintain that level by that by the time it's six all in the third, you're drained, right? Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was sort of we saw some backhands in the net in that third set tiebreak, his legs sure. sort of giving out under him. But what an unbelievable week for him. I mean yeah. it's Federer beats Djokovic, makes the semifinals for the first time in his career, ends up because he makes the semifinals, um, making the finals, ending the year world number four. And now come 2020 Australian Open, assuming everyone's playing, he's going to be the four seed. That's critical. I mean, to yeah. not have to play one of those other big three guys before the semifinals, that's that's everything. And so Dominic Team's the beneficiary of that to him. And he said that in his, press con- uh, in his post-tournament press conference, to be number four, that's a huge step. And that's what it all comes back to. 20, uh, 2019 was a huge step forward for Dominic Team. Yeah. Absolutely. And look, yeah, like you said, he's going to be, you know, the four seed there when we're thinking about Australian Open. I mean, that means the conversation turns to, you know, who's in Dominic team's quarter. That's a huge distinction, right? And so that is really impressive. And so absolutely, he's going to be proud of that. I think it's, it is funny when we look at least over the last few years, who's made the semis of these world tour finals that it's just interesting. I mean, I think obviously you have some differences when it comes down to, and when I'm saying differences, I mean not the big three winning it um, because of where it's placed in the season. I mean, look, for example, at what, the like 2017 Tour Finals, three of the four semifinalists, I think it was like Dimitrov, Goffin, and Jack Sock, right? I mean, so it's just, it's kind of funny when you look at Tour Finals, especially the semifinals, you're like, oh, who, who is this group, right? And so in this one, you get teams, Zverev, Tsitsipas, and then Fed, right? Um, and so it's fun, and I think that does add something to the event, but yeah, I mean, Look, team, bottom line, he's going to come out of this, like you said, four in the world, only the big three above him. That's got to feel great. Yeah, and even though I think it was like Pass becomes the youngest winner of the event since 2001, the sixth youngest ever, but this final, including Dominic Team, it's like since 2006, there's three finals that haven't included either Djokovic or Federer. It was the Davidenko beats Delpo in like 09. It was 09, Gas- yeah. yeah, it was Gasquet, or Gasquet, it was Dimitrov versus Goffin, and now this one, and like, 
this feels right. This feels generationally. Dominic yeah. team, Stefano Tsitsipas, they both deserve to be here. And even, we're not going to use this to make proclamations to go into 2020. But if you're the young guys, you know, Zverev wins it last year. And, you know, for him to end the year in the top eight to make the semifinals here, what this showed me, and this I saw this point on tennis Twitter, I agree with it. You know, everything went wrong for Alex Zverev this year, and he still ended the year in the top eight. That speaks to how good he is. But, it, but yeah. you know, him, team, Medvedev, uh, Tsitsipas, Berrettini, they all belonged at that World Tour Finals, and they're all young, and that means something. Yeah, absolutely no arguments here. It's a, it's a new crop rising. That's half the fun, and we look forward. You know, they still, some of them, going to be a little bit of action playing in the ATP Davis Cup, the new event, the new format, all that going on. We'll talk about that all week long. But two other things I want to talk about before we wrap up. Uh, let's uh, We got to talk Challenger, right? Because whenever mm-hmm. there's American Challenger events, you know we're going to be talking about that obligatory plug here for Livestream.com backslash ATP, where we could find all of this good action throughout the 2019 season. So shout out to the team over there. But let's start in Champagne. Uh, where obviously, as I mentioned, this is uh, Crack Rackets is just a part-time J.J. Wolf uh, media <laughs> entertainment entity. And whenever he has a result, it seems like we are always there to cover. And J.J. Wolf had a result this week. He goes to Champaign and wins the first uh, title of his professional career outside of the state of Ohio, winning in Champaign first in the semifinals over Blazkowicz, uh, 6-4, 6-2. Then today in a thrilling three-set final against fellow Cracked interviewee Sebastian Corda, who, again, you can go find us, who we talked to recently on our Cracked Interviews podcast, former junior Australian Open champion in the top 300 himself under the age of 21. J.J. Wolf survives a third set. Buster survives being down a break for the majority of the third set. Ends up getting the title 6-4-6-7-7-6 here for J.J. now. Now, unfortunately, he's not going to win the Australian Open wild card with this uh, win, but for the first time in his career, he finds himself in the top 200, sitting in the live rankings at number 189. And he should clinch himself now with this result. Definitely will clinch himself a spot in the Australian Open qualifying draw now. He's got an early title that he won last year at the Columbus Challenger coming off in January. But, Jamie, given that he just played a full college season over the January to May of 2019 period doesn't have that many points to defend throughout the first half of the year. I mean, the young 20-year-old, not 21 yet, again, emphasize, the young 20-year-old is very, very well positioned to make an early jump. Now, the question will be, how does he perform on the clay? Because he's put himself in a position to succeed at least early on in 2020. Yeah, I mean, look, he's in a great position right now. Um, I mean, just a lot of things looking good for him, right? Of course, he's going to have confidence coming off a result like this. Um, and we'll get into this, but what a spectacular match it was, right? I mean, six four, six seven, seven six, just thrilling from start to finish, really. These guys but, were banging the ball. It was unbelievable. Yeah, they were. And honestly, this is why I love watching these is because you don't get like the sort of, um, how do I put this, the diminishing camera angle that you do of all other sort of big tournaments, right? This... <sighs> Is much more like you can feel. It's a more intimate camera angle. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You and and it. I don't know. It does justice, or at least more justice, to the physicality of the game and you know how hard these guys are really hitting the ball and the movement. Right. The other ones, I feel like your depth reception gets off. You know, team. I, look, there was one time Sitsi Post. I think he hit a forehand winner today. There was 101 miles an hour, and it just like. 
I would have loved to see that at a camera angle, like behind the court, right? Like, yeah. I want to see what that looks like. I don't want to just see it from like much higher above. You know what I mean? But, but no, plus the courts are way bigger. Like the center court at the uh, in O2 Arena in Well, London, that one so. is weird. It looks like a square. It's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's, that's no. a whole nother conversation. <laughs> yeah, I, my point is, yes, I agree with you. When it, when J.J. Wolf runs around and loads up on a forehand, when Sebastian Corda today was just, Sebastian Corda 6'5", 6'6", when he was unloading on forehands or backhands down the line, just cannoning that ad serve down the tee. You're mm-hmm. like, whoa. Now, I mean, Alex Brown all week just hitting bombs, you know, from yeah. the sky with that lefty serve. Yeah, I agree. There is something to the camera angle. But for J.J. Wolf, who I think goes is now like 25 and 13 on the year, has the two challenger titles, both coming indoors. Uh, obviously, a really successful college season as well. But I know he's not the biggest guy. He's maybe six feet. That might be a little bit generous. And, you know, he's a stocky guy. He's thick, but his his flexibility, it's the one thing that always amazes me. I'm like, this guy who I've seen in person, the legs fully fill the shorts, right? This guy's got big legs. And I mean, he can do the splits. Like that sort of flexibility, it it, it, it accentuates his athleticism so well. It allows him to hit that big forehand, you know, inside in, move forward and slide into the volley that he punches down the line to put away the court when you try the cross-court pass. It's just... It, it looks when it looks good for JJ Wolf indoors. It looks really good. It looks like professional level top 150, top 100 level tennis because the weapons are there, the consistency is there, the power is there, the touch is there. It just it looks really good. Yeah, absolutely. Look, he's got a complete game. I mean, his ability to do things on the run, but the like you said, the flexibility and his core strength is phenomenal. And I think that's something um, that's going to serve him really well, right? And so, you know, getting back to positioning himself well, not only does he have this momentum, like you mentioned, um, it's not like he's going through and having to defend a ton of things at the beginning of next year, right? So he he is in a great position, and I think he's got to be fully confident about 2020. Yeah, it's going to be so fascinating to watch him play on clay. Like, I cannot wait for that just to see how that forehand looks because there are times when he changes up the spins on his forehand, but the backhand also really just more of a redirect shot. I mean, he creates spin on it, obviously, but not as heavy as his forehand. So it's just going to be interesting to see how that translates. But yeah, great result for him. Obviously, for Sebastian Corda, going to be disappointed in his second challenger final. He didn't get his first title, but you look where he's sitting at the rankings now. Again, the 19-year-old up to a career high of number 250 in the live rankings. Had a really good full season on the tour, but there's no reason a guy who, again, 6'5", 6'6", looks like he's just growing into his frame. I know he had some back issues earlier this year, as we talked about when we had the chance to interview him again on Cracked Interviews. But I love quarter games as well. I'm like, oh my God, you know, these are two more young Americans who, not not the hype of Tiafo, Opelka, Fritz, uh, that they're a little not quite that level. Though Sebastian Corda, I guess, also a uh, Junior Slam winner himself. But they're just mm-hmm. a lot of really talented twenty-one and under Americans right now to watch on the ATP side. Yeah, absolutely, and that's sort of the beauty of it, right? I mean, you just anywhere you look, you've got some um, incredible American talent to watch. So always a thrill for us, right? <laughs> look at Alex Brown, your guy, Missouri or sorry, Nebraska's finest, whatever it is you're from in those middle states. Well, um, close. Yeah, I mean, he's he's more Urbandale, Iowa, but then trained in <laughs> Kansas City. But yes, get, just go ahead and throw all those random Midwest states you don't care about uh, together. That's fine. No, as a Michigan man, that hurts. But yeah, yeah. shout out to Urbandale, <laughs> Iowa, my favorite city in the country. <laughs> 
Um, oh, God. Yeah, no, for Alex Brown, I mean, first active Illinois player. He's a junior this year, but first active Illinois player to make the semifinals of the Champagne Challenger at the end of the year. And for the big lefty, I mean, the serve, the funky forehand, the backhand, his willingness to move forward, be aggressive, plus the fact that the number one singles player for Illinois last year, who's coming back this year as a single, Alex Kovacevic, I mean, he made the semifinals of Knoxville the week before. Mm-hmm. The, the team in Champaign, the Illinois men's team, big winners from this week of tennis. Yeah, for sure. A lot of things to uh, feel good about. A lot of things that are looking good. So, I mean, for sure, there's confidence in that regard as well. Yeah, by the way, just, you know, J.J. Wolf now 25 and 13 is where he's going to end the year for Sebastian Corda. Hey, you were right. Look at yeah, that. 40 and 22. Um, so not too shabby, not too shabby not, not too at, bad all at all from him. No titles and singles for him still in his pro career at the futures or challenger level, but again, two challenger finals now. So honestly, both of their see... records are better than ours. So. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm a, no, I'm Owen one in the top notch challenger series. Me and Rothman took the L. So, uh, yeah, oh, yeah that, that counts. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah that's, as, that's as close as I'm going to get, but you talk about feel good stories. The last person I'll mention, and then we can wrap up. The feel-good story, maybe, of 2019, Marcos Giron, who, mm-hmm. for our listeners who aren't aware, a former uh, top U.S. junior, Easter Bowl champion, you know, all these different things, former NCAA singles champion at UCLA, was kind enough to come on the Cracked Interviews podcast when we saw him at the Cleveland Challenger earlier in the year. Um, he has dealt with health issues his whole career. It was a hip surgery. It was the other hip surgery shoulder problems, this and that, but 2019 was really his first fully healthy season, and we saw earlier in the year he won the Challenger in Orlando. He made that run in Indian Wells, getting a couple of really good wins along the way. Uh, You know, you look at his season, he ends the year so straight. He was one of the guys who was in contention to uh, steal that USTA Australian Open wild card from Michael Moe in this last week of the competition. And he did exactly what he needed to do. He goes down to the Oracle event in Houston, wins the event in his early matches. He played Brandon Holt. He was up 5-1 in a second set, blew 10 match points, uh, but ended up winning the match 6-2 in the third. Today, it was a reverse. He wins the first set, but then ends up losing the second set in a breaker to Dr. Evo. Gets to the third set buster, goes down 6-1 to Evo Karlovic. So Evo Karlovic had, and it was 6-1, but only two uh, two serve points. So Evo Karlovic was going to be up 6-3, getting two serves to win the match. And Marco Skirone fights back. He wins 10-8 in a 7-6 third set to get his second challenger title of the year in Houston. He, not only does he clinch himself the Australian Open wild card for 2020, uh, not only does he now find himself at number 102 in the rankings, two, a mere two ATP points outside of the top 100. Uh, but Jamie, I, I don't know if there's a better feel, you know, a better story than that in 2016, him or in 2019, him coming back from these injuries, putting together this start to finish season, and now he's got a main draw wild card. If he doesn't get in on, he could still get in on his own ranking. Sure, but if he doesn't, he, he can rest assured that even though he's losing those Orlando Challenger points right at the beginning of the year, he is going to find himself on the precipice of the top 100 come 2020, and that is a job well done for Marcos Giron. 
Yeah, I mean, couldn't agree more. Look, this is a guy who I think you and I both had a lot of hopes for, especially like you mentioned, that Indian Wells run. I mean, some of the wins he was putting up in that tournament were phenomenal, right? I mean, he beat Damon R on a hard court. Then he had a great that great three-setter with Raonic, which reasonably he could have won, right? So this is a guy that you're looking at. The talent is absolutely there. The fight is there, right? And so you, you love to root for a guy like that. You know, today, ultimately, obviously not taking anything away from him, but, you know, if you're Karlovich, Especially when you're serving like that, I feel like this is something. Six I mean, one. You, he missed you gotta, two volleys on top of the net. Yeah, I mean, look, and this is you know, this is not to bash on um, Dr. Evo, but it's interesting. I think maybe sometimes we take it for granted with his serve. We just expect him to win every serve point in, in a big moment. But there are multiple times where I've seen him not be able to close matches out, even when he is serving for it. So, um, you know interesting um, to say the least I mean ultimately you, you got to think that Giron really just survived in some aspects on this one but tremendous fight here um, I, I mean really that's all there is to say right I mean I think you're watching this match you're thinking Karlovich is like yeah I mean look we, Karlovich you're gonna put this away right you're gonna win this match you're up you're in your great position um, and credit to Giron he did not give him anything he, he completely just stayed in that match stayed the course and you know look what happened he's the one who's lifting the trophy yeah and again what a testament to his willpower. For it's sure. At the end of the year, he had played a couple of matches indoors in the weeks prior. You know, he goes to Charlottesville, makes the quarterfinals there, survives two three-set matches. Last week in Knoxville, he loses a brutal first-round match to Liam Brody, 7-5 in the third. And at that point, you think, you know, I've done enough. Michael Moe just won the title. Maybe I'll hang it up for the season, start my offseason early. But that Marcos Garone, after playing his first full season this late in the year, he doesn't do that. He plays the extra event, a, a you know a clinic in proper scheduling. Marcos Giron, knowing he's a better outdoors than indoors players, manages the forty to you know thirty five degree weather we saw in Houston all week long, but makes the choice to play outdoors instead of indoors, and it pays off for him to get the title here. I mean. Yeah. There's no better feeling as a, I mean, not that I can personally attest to, but I can only imagine <laughs> as a player on the Challenger Tour being like, guess what? I get to start my year in Australia with a main draw wild card. That's what you work all year for, those sorts of opportunities. And Marcos Giron's going to get it, and he deserves it. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Really yeah. excited for where he's headed in 2020. Also really excited for these Oracle-style events because now for Giron, yeah. you know, this Oracle counts in the road to Indian Wells, that, them being a big sponsor of that tournament, the winner of the Oracle Challenger Series, which I think will continue next year in Newport, in Indian Wells as well. Marcos Giron starts out as a heavy favorite in that winning this event. Him and Tommy Paul now both have titles, but I believe uh, for Marcos now because he played that other event as well, he may be in a slight lead. If not, uh, if not, it'll be pretty close between the two, and that's huge for Marcos because I Obviously, he had success there, but got to give a shout out as well to our USDA Australian Open wildcard women are on the women's side. Uh, Katarina Stewart, who survives when Coco Vandeweghe lost in the final today in Houston to Kirsten Flipkins. So Stewart going to guarantee herself a wildcard as well. Big win for those players. Always love that wildcard challenge down the home stretch because it really adds to the allure of these final weeks of tennis. But with all of that in mind, Jamie, I kept you longer than I said I would. So any final thoughts before we wrap up? <laughs> No, you you always cover it all. You you always keep me longer than you say. I don't know. I don't know why you uh, always seem so surprised by that. It's not genuine. There's you know it's going to happen. Yeah, no. There's two things you can always guarantee with me is a. I'm always going to show up five to ten to fifteen. No, usually not too much worse than fifteen, but five to fifteen minutes later than I say I will. And b. I'm going to keep you recording five to fifteen minutes longer than I said I would. Both. I guess it all. Yeah. Just. Mm. 
not punctual, you know, a mark, a stain, if you will, <laughs> on the Alex Gruskin character. There's got to be one, right? What did we learn in 2019? We learned Tsitsipas is real. We learned Zverev can, uh, you know, ha- weather the storm. And we learned oh, I'm going to show up 10 to 15 minutes late every time. All storylines from the 2019 tennis season to take away. But with that in mind, I, I mean, I know the hard tennis is over, but there's still a ton to catch up on in the tennis world. As we mentioned, ATP uh, Davis Cup coming up this week. Some other fun stuff as well. Our off-season stuff, our Great Shot Podcast, Best of the Decade series, cracked interviews-wise, a lot of college guests recently to get you ready for the 2020 college season all of which again can be found on our website crackrackets.com like rate subscribe review the podcast leave a little five-star rating little you know it takes 15 seconds again so leave us a little message alex you're right you always go five minutes too long jamie you're wrong these podcasts should be as long as you guys want because we love hearing you talk tennis tell jamie he's wrong it would really help me out alex you're gonna look great with short hair i think you're gonna make a really good looking bald person that's the sort of reassurance i'm looking for this week so just leave those messages there let us know and of course for the more immediate updates social media at cracked rackets as well shout out to the super producers max fligner and daniel westoff who as always have a of an editing job to do but with that in mind for our super producers fligner and westoff for my wonderful co-host james foster mcdonald and from all of us here at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin jamie what do we tell you our listeners that's a break and we will see you all tomorrow thanks everyone 